There's a problem that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue for anyone who owns a home. The problem is squatters. If you're not familiar with the term, squatting is when a person or even a group of people figure out that a house is not being occupied. Maybe the owner is trying to sell it, or in some cases, the owner lives there, but is just away from home on a vacation. When the squatter determines that no one is home, they just go in, usually by breaking in, and take up residence. They just act like it's their house. Mom and grandma say they are living a nightmare after pooling their life savings together and buying a home. They say squatters moved in and they can't get them out. My mom and I um, decided to buy a house together about two months ago um, because our both of our rents were going to go up dr dramatically, about $500 a piece. We scrimped and scraped, the two of us, to get this, and, and, um, and you know, we were so excited. This four-bedroom, three-bathroom, 2,700-square-foot home was supposed to be a dream home for Jen Larson, her mom, and three kids but it's turned out to be nothing short of a nightmare. We gave the um, seller seven days to move out because they said they needed the money from the sale of the house to move everything out of the house. So we're like, okay, we can give you seven days. We agreed to that. It was all in the closing documents and everything. The women say during those seven days, someone else moved in and has been living there ever since. The women have never been able to occupy the home they now own. I can't eat. I can't sleep. It's been really, really stressful. Me and my kids are going to be homeless and or, you know, have to figure it out, I guess. Meanwhile, this woman's living in our home that we paid for and she's been living there for free. We haven't received a dime from anybody. That story is just one example. This is happening all across the country. And the infuriating thing is that in most cases, the police can't just go in and remove them. It becomes a civil matter, which means the homeowner has to spend money on lawyers and court filings, as well as paying for some other place to live in the meantime. And all the while, the squatter is living in the home without paying anything. My guest today is Flash. He didn't expect it, but he was faced with a squatter problem but he decided to handle this case on his own. And he has a big disclaimer up front. He doesn't recommend this process for everyone. This worked for me. It's not gonna work for everyone. And I definitely suggest that you know your limitations and you go into something like this fully prepared. And don't use what I did as an example of what you should do. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this, is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes. And it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. 
Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. How long had your parents owned this home? I think around 20, maybe 25 years. Oh, so a long time then. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Okay. And is this, what kind of residence is this? I say it's two story, single family home, small town, uh, Northern California. How would you describe the neighborhood? The neighborhood itself is pretty, you know, it is a beach community. But it does appear to be a little run down. You know, maybe, uh, yeah, just you know, not well kept up in general. What were the circumstances that led to the home being empty? My dad was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And I moved my parents in with me while he was receiving treatments. He eventually passed away. Uh, my family and I decided that my mom couldn't stay in that community so far away from family by herself. So we moved her out of the house and moved her in with me and began prepping the house to sell. Yeah, we were just trying to sell the house so that she could move on and we could find her a place, you know, closer to family. So it was completely empty then? It was completely empty. Uh, we actually, during the time that my father was uh, battling cancer, there was a water leak that destroyed the inside of the house. And, you know, mold and all of her furniture and all these things were, were destroyed. We had to go in and gut the house prior and completely replace drywall, flooring, the interior of this house was absolutely brand new. There was nothing in the video that you can see the outside, the house had been vacant and the outside was, uh, was not kept up, but the inside of the house was brand new. Did you debate renting it out versus selling it? How did you come to that decision? She needed more money than just rent for her to be able to move on. It would have been different if she had her own place and established and you know, she would have been renting. She still had a mortgage to pay. So renting the house out wasn't really an option. We hired a realtor that he came in with all these promises and, oh, it's going to sell within a month. And then it just drug on and drug on and nothing. There were no showings. We couldn't find listings. It was, we went through our contract with him and uh, in the process of switching out to a different realtor was when all of this stuff happened. Yeah. And this is all complicated by the fact that you're not local to that house, right? That made everything more difficult. Yeah. I'm, I'm 10, 12 hours away. You were contacted through the realtor from a potential buyer. What, what happened there? I received a, a call from an individual who claimed to be a prison guard for a local prison and she was just, had fallen under hard times and she noticed that the house on the outside needed some work. So she thought she could reach out and wanted to rent the house, occupy the house, but expressed that she didn't have any money to pay rent and that her credit wasn't really good because she was going through having some problems. And honestly, it was not something we really could entertain. It was there was a brief moment where it was like, okay, well, we're paying on this house and we're sitting on it and it's not moving for a year. And we're kind of at a point where we're just 
paying for a mortgage. So there was a brief moment where it was like, okay, should we do this? But then it was like, well, what would be the point if we're still paying the mortgage because she's not paying rent? Right. There's a little, seems like there's a little bit of logic behind that because maybe if she does some work and it looks nicer, maybe that would increase the chances of it selling sooner. Of course, you have no idea how good she is at that work either, or if she even knows how to do anything. Yeah. I mean, there was just no, nothing felt good about it. And in hindsight now it's like, well, then can you imagine having a, I mean, having a squatter at that point that would have had literally a legal lease that said that she could live there and pay no money. That would be crazy. So you told her, sorry, no deal. Then what happened? Yes. I told her, you know, I'm sorry, I can't help you here. And I explained the situation. I don't know, maybe a week later, I find out that there's a U-Haul truck or a moving truck or something was, you know, had backed into the driveway. I immediately reached out to her and I asked her flat out, are you like moving into my house? And she said, oh, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. The movers, I think they got the wrong address and they accidentally brought furniture to, to your house. You know, I was talking about possibly moving there. So I'm, I'm sure there was a miscommunication and maybe my daughter sent them or I don't know. So. So she assured me that, uh, that it would be taken care of. And she said, if they left it, I might need a couple days to get, to get them back there to pick it up. I'm thinking in my mind that I've got either a truck still sitting in my driveway, or I have a whole bunch of furniture that was delivered and taken out of the truck. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, so maybe they put it in the garage. There was no point in my brain that thought that they filled up my house, that, that the house is full of all their furniture. It just, it didn't even cross my mind that that could happen. I'm thinking the house is secure. The house is, you know, I've, I uh, went the last time I was there, I had turned off the breakers. I had made sure that the house was all secure. The furthest thing from my mind was that they actually moved into the house. So I'm thinking it's an accident. Somehow I'm trying to believe her. So I was, uh, I was not expecting it. So you mentioned the garage, but they really, they wouldn't have even had access to the garage, right? I mean, it must've been locked too. Yeah, but my mind just went to maybe it's there. And I just couldn't imagine it being accidentally delivered and unloaded by movers into the driveway because that just that would be you would right away think okay i can't get the door unlocked or whatever and because she reached out to the realtor i thought well maybe they gave them access you know i i mean i'm so far away and so far removed and i don't know any of these people it kind of just put me in the dark and and my mom wasn't in a mental state to be able to to handle all of this and did you tell her any of this had happened i did not I think I briefly told her that someone had wanted to rent the house. I gave her the name, asked her if she knew who it was. She didn't really re recollect the name, so I kept her in the dark. Did you have people locally who were kind of your eyes and ears, or how did you find out what was going on? I never lived in the town. They bought this house after I was an adult. So I had only spent some holidays there. And so I didn't know anyone there. So I relied on my, one of my sisters who actually did live there and lived in the house and she was no longer living in the area, but she still had friends and she had a friend that she lived on the other, on the back side of the house. So she relayed the messages to me. She was the one that told me that she got a call and someone's in. And her question was, did you rent out mom's house? That's what got my, you know, me thinking renter. Well, wait a minute. It was her question. Did you rent out mom's house? So that right away got me thinking renter. And then that's why I reached out to this lady. How many people do you think were staying there? 
Well, there were three cars in the driveway when I pulled in. I had been told that there were several people, men, women. I didn't really count them, but it was probably eight people. I had estimated before it was like eight to 10 people that were going in and out of there. Now, how many of them were staying there on a regular basis or sleeping there? I have no idea. But at that point, I didn't care if they were a visitor, if they were walking in to borrow a cup of milk. I mean, it it didn't matter to me. So what's your first step? How do you resolve this? Well, my first step was to just trust that everything was gone. I had no idea that You know, I didn't bother following up. Who called to say, oh, did you purposely get your accidental furniture out of my, off my mom's property? I just went on with my life and was dealing with my mom and dealing with the realtor and signing new contracts, you know, just moving on. And it wasn't until maybe a couple months went by and I was reaching out to the realtor asking like, what's going on? Like, are we going through the same thing again? This house isn't being shown. What's what's the deal? I don't get it. Houses are being sold every day, but you can't get a possible this house. You can't, you know, you can't give me any info. And that's when they started coming up with at the time appeared to be excuses. But when they said, "Well, we've tried to show the house, but every time we go there, there's people there." And there's furniture in the house now. Then it was like bells went off. I'm like furniture, you know? So, and this is two months later. I didn't realize that much time had passed. Yeah. So they were settled in. They had their housewarming party already and everything. I've moved and it's taken me forever. And I mean, the house I'm in now, I've lived here for since August and I still have some boxes. So I don't know how quickly that goes, but uh, then it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, part of me thought maybe it was them. I didn't know. They said that the back door was broken in. I just had to, either way, no matter who it was, there was somebody in the house. Did you try calling that lady again saying, hey, we talked a couple of months ago. Is this you still in my house? I eventually called her and I left her a message. Something to the effect that if your furniture is in the house, if you moved into the house, you better get out. Looking back on it now, do you think that may have been a mistake because it kind of tipped her off that you were onto her now? No, I mean, I, I mean, at that point, I'm still thinking that I have the right to call the police and that the police have the right to go and take them out. So I don't think that that was any deterrent whatsoever for the end result. If anything, it might have helped. They needed to know that uh, just because I'm far away, I have eyes and ears there, even though I personally don't. They were probably, they must have been thinking after a couple of months, maybe they're just free and clear. Like you're not even aware of anything. Yeah. So one of the things that has come up and, and one of the things that my mom brought up, actually, they talk about corruption, you know, in certain areas with law enforcement, I guess there's something about when a house is abandoned for so long, if somebody can somehow manage to take over the property and pay the property taxes and do something, they can actually take over the property. And there have been things that have kind of led that direction that that seemed to be a plan. Maybe they found out about it through the realtor. And because the property, it was like we had, like someone was going there once in a while and mowing, but you know, things were not looking good on the outside. So from, from anyone looking outside in, it's an abandoned property. And my dad's cancer and him passing, that took priority. This house was not on the radar for a while. Talk about when you contacted law enforcement. The first time was in the evening. I was told that there were lights on in the house. I called the sheriff's department and I told them that a neighbor told me that, that someone broke in the back door of my mom's house. And they said, okay, does your mom live there? And I said, no. I said, we've moved her out of the house. And I said that the house is vacant. And they said, okay, so there's like 
nothing in there. I said, no, there's no furniture in there. The house is completely empty. I said, but I've gotten word that somebody broke in the back door and lights are on in the house. So they're like, okay, we'll send a deputy, deputy over there and we'll call you from the premises. So I'm waiting by the phone, probably 10, 1030 at night and nothing. I call back probably around 11 PM and I'm like, what's going on? Did the deputy go out there? And they're like, oh yeah, let's see if we can contact him. And then nothing. I never heard back. It was just like, as if I didn't call at all. So the following day, I make another call. This time they send them out there and they somehow put me through to him while he's on the premises. So he's talking to me while he's walking around the house. And he said, I thought you said that this house was vacant. I said, yeah, it is. And he said, um, well, there's people in here and there's furniture and there's items in the house. And I was like, well, okay. I said, well, is there, is the back door broken in? And he says, yeah. He says, I can see it looks like the back door's broken in. I said, okay, well, they broke in the house. Can you get them out of the house? Seems like an easy solution. Yeah, it's an easy solution. I'm like, look, you see evidence of a break-in. My mom's not in the house. Whoever's in that house doesn't belong in that house. Take them out of the house, arrest them, sell their furniture, whatever. And um, he said, well, it doesn't work like that, sir. Since you told me that it was vacant and it's not, I can't do anything about this. All I can tell you is that whoever's in there appears to be living there. And you, you need to take civil action. This is a civil matter and this is out of my hands. Not the answer you wanted to hear. Not at all. Not at all. So really now you're thinking, okay, I've got to, you're probably thinking I have to hire a lawyer, right? If you're going to go through that process. My natural instinct is always like looking up laws and finding loopholes and helping people through my business. I'm, I'm helping business owners and things through my association. And part of that is with laws and how they can conduct work and things like that. So I've learned a lot more about squatters than I ever knew. But even at that point, I had already heard nightmares about it and that when somebody's in the house. And as soon as he mentioned civil action, I thought civil action takes time. Nothing through the courts acts fast. So, you know, my mind was right in the, I've got to figure out what to do on my own because there's no way. I mean, my mom needs to, I love my mom, but she needs to get her own place. <laughs> I'm thinking it's time and there's no way I have this much time. So I just start looking at alternatives. And one of the things that I, that now I know is that the biggest mistake that I did make is telling the officer that the house was vacant. If I would not have told him that. And I would have said nothing about no furniture, nothing about empty house. Then he would have at least been able to go in, find out who it is, you know, at least get me some information. The civil, whole civil thing started with, with the fact that if it's vacant on my end and I'm thinking it's vacant, then everything in that house belongs to them. So giving that information to law enforcement is what caused this. But to go back to what you asked, I at no point thought, oh, civil action, because I just didn't feel like, I just feel like, yeah, I can, I can just do this myself. I just needed to see how and what, uh, what the legalities were and speak with some law, law enforcement people that I know and attorneys and when I came up with how I perceived the laws uh, and coming up with my plan, I had to run them by a couple of attorneys and law enforcement friends to see where I stand and if my way of thinking is correct. So what was your first step? You're going to do, you're going to go the DIY route. And first you had to create a document that says you live there. My initial thinking was... If they can take a home, I can take a home. The whole premise of this was if they have rights, if squatters have so much, so many more rights than the homeowner, 
then I needed to just become the squatter. And I thought, you know, if I become the squatter truly and I'm in a battle with somebody that I have no idea if they have come up with a fake lease at this point, I don't know, are they in cahoots with the realtor? I don't know. And I, and I don't even know at this point if it's the same people I had talked to. This is like a while down the road. So I have no idea that we're still dealing with them. So I just had to think about that process. Like, okay, I want to take squatter rights, but at the same time, I need to be prepared. So I couldn't put myself in a position where it's a me against them and both of us don't have any legal grounds whatsoever and it's just me saying this and them saying that so my my thought went right to okay so whether i use it or not i need to make it to where when i get there i can show everything that says that i belong there i don't know how many other people do this but i like to plan my weekly meals Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni, She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida. So I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. Um, I did explain to my mom, I'm going to have you write up a lease. We're going to do a lease and we're going to get it notarized. I said, and then the other step is I want you to put my name on the utility bills, you know, so I can go up there with ammunition, whether I have to use it, I don't have to use it. But if I'm in a, an argument with them and law enforcement is called, I want to be able to show something that gives me the right to either have them arrested for breaking in or, or something that allows me to stay in the house. So that's what I did. And even if they had a fake lease. They're not going to have a utility bill with their name on it like you would. So yeah, that's Correct. all the better. So now you make a trip. 
I get in the Jeep, I pack up my dog because she's just, she goes on all my drives with me and she's a little Boston Terrier. So she wasn't going to be any backup or anything like that, but you know, she was going to keep me company. I do have a license to carry and I did care. I did bring a firearm. I only brought that just in case it wasn't something that I intended on using. A uh, matter of fact, they, they had no idea that I even had a gun with me. Um, it never even came to that point, but packed up and just went for a drive. And I just kind of planned it to where I would drive all night and get there early morning. I got there, I pulled in around 4 a.m. It was still dark and I just parked down the street. My initial plan was that I needed to switch places with them. I needed to squat the squatters. I needed to just sit there down the street, sit in my Jeep. I see cars in the driveway and I wait. I dozed off. I slept for a couple hours, I think. And uh, people started pulling out of the driveway around 8, 8.30 in the morning. This almost makes me think like a chess game. You're waiting for them to make the wrong move and leaving the house for them. That was their mistake that day. Of course, they didn't know it. And that's the beauty of this whole system is that one of the things that I found is that what gives squatter rights is litigation. And that's what most people do. That's their first thing they do. They go and, you know, hire an attorney and go and file a paper. And that's what gives them rights. Once they start that litigation, squatters have rights. So right now at this point, I'm thinking, they have no rights. If I go and I start litigation on this day, then on this day forward, they have rights. And I have to fight them with money, attorneys, court, and time. But if I switch places with them and I get them to walk outside and leave and I can go inside and they're outside, then I'm the one that assumes those squatter rights. That's what's going on in my head. You So you approached the house, but you still didn't know that everyone was gone though. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I mean, there could have been somebody sleeping. Yeah, there was no way for me to know if everyone had, had left or not. I figured that cars were gone and you know, the best situation or the best timing was right then. I did walk the property. I looked in the windows to make sure that if there was someone there that was up and moving around that I might be able to see. So I did notice I did look at the back door, but when I finally decided to enter the house, I thought, well, why don't I try my key? Because if they broke the back door in, back door's still broken in. So I just, I'm thinking, well, they clearly didn't have a key. So they clearly weren't given access by the realtor at this point. I know that, right? And um, so, yeah, I turned camera on and I put the key in the lock and and it works. I walk in. You recorded a video as you walked in the front door. You yes. created a video. Was that just for documentation, for legal protection, or why were you recording that? Well, I've I've done a YouTube uh, YouTube channel for years, and my YouTube channel is about home stuff, and so I just thought, kind of double, like one. I'm going to make a video of it and this is great content. You're right. Yeah. And two, I'm, I need proof of everything. I need proof that I didn't touch anything. I need proof of my interaction with them. I need to cover my butt is what I'm thinking. So when you walked in, what did you see? I saw AirPods on the table. I saw, I saw boxes that were open and dishes and clothes and you know, there it was clearly somebody was living there, not really moved in, settled like it's forever, but it looked like they were on vacation, maybe living out of a suitcase or living out of boxes. This had to be when, you know, since the last time you saw this house, it was empty, completely remodeled on the inside, but totally empty. And for you to walk in, it's like you're walking in almost like to somebody else's house. Right? Is that how you how it felt? Absolutely. You know, it was you know, the adrenaline. Uh, you know, it was very intense and overwhelming at the same time because this is a house that 
that I spent some holidays with my family in. And, and this is all, you know, remember after my dad's passing. So it just, uh, I think it was just amplified. Everything that you possibly see just doesn't make sense because it's just not supposed to be there. So you made a trip to Home Depot. What was your plan at this point? In my prep prior, it was that I would, I needed to not only get them out, but I needed to be able to keep them out or anyone else. I needed to be able to secure the back door. I needed to be able to change locks if I needed to. I needed to put an alarm system, cameras, because one of the things that I figured out about squatter laws is that the only chance you stand with squatters or people moving into your house and becoming squatters is catching them in the act. So it's a big thing about having a camera or an alarm system and being able to say, they are breaking into my house right now. They just broke into my house. So whether you're on vacation or wherever, if you don't catch them, then they can say they've been there for a month. Right. But you've got camera with timestamps and date and everything. And you can, that's what better evidence is there? Yes. I've you know, installed many cameras for, I've cameras at my house. I installed many cameras for, for customers and, so I was real familiar with them and my biggest challenge was in order for me to be able to monitor cameras, I needed Wi-Fi. I just went to the next door neighbor and I explained the situation and I said, I'm installing cameras and, you know, the camera will not only help us keep people from breaking in this house, but the cameras will also show, you know, the front, you know, and I can even angle it to where we can, we can monitor your property as well. And they, without any question at all, they offered to share Wi-Fi. So you're there hooking up the cameras. And did you have any kind of plan for when this, when any of these people came back home? Or were you kind of hooking the cameras up, looking out the window, seeing if anybody showed up? Or how did that work? Well, I was hoping that I would be all done prior to anyone coming, that I would be in the house. And I'd just be, you know, they'd be coming to the door and I'd be opening the door. How can I help you? So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's going to be it. I'm going to just like surprise them. And what ended up happening is I was installing the the final camera and I wasn't prepared and I'm on a ladder and I have my back to the street. Oh, so you were outside. I was outside. I hear a car pull up behind me in the driveway. Just right away, I, I grabbed my iPhone and I just hold it down at my waist. I walk down, I turn the camera on and I walk down the ladder and I turn around to them and I, uh, my phone camera to them so I could catch the interaction. It was good. I was out there and I wasn't in the back of the house, I guess, but, uh, but yeah, I wasn't fully prepared for them. And you obviously recorded that conversation. Let's take a listen to how that went. Hi, are you flash? Yeah. I'm Marla. Hey. I'm really sorry about all this. I really am. It's just, it's a nightmare beyond. I mean, uh, the stuff is in the house. You told me that it was accidentally delivered and it was in the garage. No, I didn't it, say it was in the garage. Well, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I never said that. But, well, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it, clearly it's been in the house for a long, for a long yeah. time. And, you know, yeah. I've had realtors over here telling me they can't do anything because of all this stuff. So basically, you know, I'm up here, I'm leaving and it all has to be out before I leave. I've got guys scheduled to come take the stuff out later today. So either you take it out or I have to take it out and put it out on the driveway until it gets picked up. But I can't, I can't leave with it, with anything in there or whatever's left in there is staying in there. So I'm putting cameras up in a security system and I just, I have to deal with this house. It's been way too long and I need, to, I need to do something. I need to get rid of it. Lost my crew somewhere and I'm trying to load them down, but we're going to load by load, take it out of here. Okay. Well, at this point, I have no choice. I just need to. I, I understand. When I'm, I, w- I, would, I would be in, in. I mean, I was overwhelmed by the amount of stuff when I pulled in here. 
when I pulled in here yesterday, I mean, I didn't expect all this. So. Okay, well. But this has just been a nightmare all along. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to have added to that. I really am. But I wish we could have worked something out, but I just, I couldn't do anything with no money. I hear that. All right, but at this point, clearly I didn't call the police and press charges or anything like that. I just want it done. And then you and I need to talk about the, the, the financial inconvenience that this has caused. Cause I haven't been able to do anything with this house for months because every time they come over here, they tell me that there's people here and that there's furniture in the house. So, and who's telling you that, that the realtors that there's people here. So neighbors tell me that they see people coming in and the lights on someone went in and turned on the power because the power was off to the house. So neighbors have been telling me that there's been a lady and other, and some other people like young and old and some, uh, a mixture between female and males coming into the house at night and the lights are on at night. Well, that would like not be neighbors us. there, neighbors there, neighbors there, and neighbors there. That would there. never be us. And those are the ones that have been calling me, telling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the like there's yesterday. like earbuds sitting on the table and yeah, stuff on the couches. Stuff and oh, they went through all, all of those boxes yeah. have been gone through and moved. Yeah, no, I you don't know what's missing. And, and yeah, that's so that's my home. that's my fault. That that is all of it. I shouldn't have paid attention. That's beside the point. We just need to get it done and take care of because it was so. Just make the right. Do what you can to get it out. Like I said, I mean, I, I have to start putting stuff in the driveway and so that I can lock it up because once I leave, you're not going to be able to get back in. Okay? So I'm trying to give you, no, 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 but I'm saying to get your stuff, I'm saying, get your stuff out. Even if you can't, even if you don't have something to haul it with right now, get it out, get it out here so that I can secure the house. Up. That's all. That's what I'm asking. Okay. Okay. Because I don't want to be the one tomorrow telling you. I'm sorry, I've got to lock it up and leave. Oh, I don't have flexibility here. I hear you. So that's why I'm telling you, just do everything you can to just get it out here. Okay, because then you can send somebody here and worry about, go get a truck at Home Depot for $17 or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I'm just telling you, I don't want to have this conversation tomorrow and be like, I'm sorry, I have to hit the road. And I'm, because at that point, I just have to, I have to secure the house and I just have to go. And so, yeah, just, you know, do what you need to do. I'm going to be doing stuff and just come and go and do what you need. I think when people hear that conversation, I think their first reaction is going to be, man, you were way too polite. Yeah. You were so civil to them. Yeah. And that was your plan from the start, right? It was. So first of all, I had plenty of time to be angry. I had plenty of time to hit and kick the heavy bag and, and get my frustration out. And it was very difficult because here I am feeling like you like disrespected me, my family, my, the passing of my dad, you totally took advantage of every aspect of it. And financially, my mom's been paying for your utilities. So prior, it was all part of my plan. I had to maintain control. And I had to keep it from escalating because if we get into an argument, there's no good can come from it. Even if I was to say to her, what are you talking about? I saw you leave this morning. Even if I said that, all she's going to do is clam up. She's going to argue with me and she may even call law enforcement herself. We heard in the conversation, you gave her a deadline. What was the activity like for the rest of the day? Prior to her coming to the house, I had set up a plan and a deadline for things to be happening. Okay. She had a deadline to get it all out, but she had to have started it. So I had happened to see across the street, there were a couple of guys, maybe in their twenties, a couple of big guys, you know, I approached them and I just said, Hey, do you guys need any furniture? And the guy was like, yeah. He's like, what do you got? And I said, well, I have a house full of furniture across the street. And I said, and if at 5 p.m., if they're not moving everything out and you don't see a bunch of stuff in the driveway, come over there. If you help me get it outside, you can have anything you want. They're like, oh, awesome. I'm like, there's tables and chairs and you name it. You can just go to town. 
they were ready to jump at that. So having that set up, when I was talking to her, I was able to tell her, here's the plan. Either you get it out or I'm going to get it taken. It was either going to be my stuff or the neighbor's stuff at that point. I wanted her to totally believe that cameras are up, alarm systems set up, and there is no entrance when I leave. There is no getting back in the house. I haven't pressed charges so far, but if I get evidence of you breaking back into this house, even if you're trying to get what you think is your property, I'm still going to have evidence of you breaking into my house and you have no proof that it's your property. So I said, so I'm giving you the best, the sweetest deal I can possibly offer you is get it out, get it out on the driveway. Even if you have to just drag it out on the driveway. And I even mentioned go to, you know, for $20 or something like that, go get a truck at Home Depot. Lee, put it out here and figure out what to do with your stuff after, but you have today. That's it. And really, that's the best thing she could have hoped for because, you know, she's not going to get arrested. She gets to keep all her stuff as long as she can get it taken away. And and she's had free rent for a few months. Yeah, it, exactly. I, I did mention to her that we needed to discuss the financial aspect of it. And I did lead her to believe that I would be going after her financially afterwards. And And people have asked if I ever did. And, and I didn't. And she has no money anyway. So it would have cost you money to find out that, okay, I'm not getting anything anyway. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something I would have had to do litigation because I don't think I could find the loophole to go take the money from her myself. So that day you were there all day or most of the day and saw her. Did she have anybody helping her c- carry the stuff out? Shortly after she, she has says, she says in there that she was trying to get her crew or she was trying to locate her crew. And within an hour or two cars that were there previously pull up and there, you know, several men and women and she had plenty of help. I was there. I sat in the Jeep and I watched and I took pictures and I took video watching them. And, and I had ring cameras that were videoing everything. I wasn't going to help them. So I didn't touch any of their stuff. I just uh, let them move it out and I just supervised. Yeah, they had several car loads to get it out and they were, they were working all day. I ended up at some point, probably like around 6 p.m. or so, I left and had dinner. Uh, I have family that's like 30 minutes away. And, but at this point I could watch the cameras. I was watching through the evening and I could watch it through the, with the cameras. Better than anything on TV, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ended up not going back there that night and I just let them do their thing. And every once in a while, I'd look at the cameras and the next morning I looked at the cameras and the last load they pulled out of that driveway at 2 a.m. Long day for them. Yeah. So the next morning you went back, did a final inspection. What did you find when you came back? When I went back, the house was empty. They actually did a pretty good job, everything out. At that point, it was all, as far as I was concerned, I was feeling pretty good. I was successful. Police weren't called. I, my plan, everything happened perfectly and exactly the way I had planned it. So, so I was feeling pretty good for the drive home. Before I left the property, I met with the realtor and we walked the property and made sure that everything was going to be fine and made sure what, you know, we were going to be able to take care of things to sell the house. On my way out of town, I actually drove to the, to the sheriff's station. Then I go in and I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to the sheriff. Well, I'm just normally calling deputies the sheriff because they're just all sheriffs to me. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm just going to speak with a deputy. And they're like, oh, sure. Yeah, just come right in. Walk me back and I'm in the office with the actual sheriff. I'm like, awesome. So I go in and I sit down and, and I just lay it out for him and I start from the beginning. So I'm just explaining to him like everything that happened. And then I told him, I said, this is what I did. 
I just want you to be aware. I laid it out for him. And all he could do was turn to me and just shook my hand and said, wow, that's pretty impressive. Maybe he was going to offer you a job. <laughs> both the realtor and the sheriff both said, you know, you can make a lot of money in this town because towns like this get a lot of squatters because people, most of the owners of these properties, they're vacation home, homes for them. So they, they go up to stay in these homes, they're fishing in the river, they're out at the, you know, hanging out at the beach and vacation homes become squatter homes a lot. They were like, yeah, you could probably make a ton of money getting squatters out in this town. The time I was like, yeah, no, it's okay. It was fun once, you know, and uh, little did I know what would come of it later. But, um, but at the time it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm good. But I can imagine, you know, when you compare the cost of someone having to go through the civil litigation process, whatever you would charge for them, for you to go in and remove the squatters is a bargain compared to that. Yeah. I mean. The time by itself, you know, depending on what your property was, was it a rental property? Are you losing rent? Your legal fees, you know, I would imagine you're going to rack up 20 grand for attorney fees very quickly. And then the time involved, I would say that, you know, it's a, the process, even in the best states, is like six months. So when you add up six months of rent that you're losing, plus attorney fees, plus court costs. And, and I mean, I've heard stories of people that, been already up in the 40, 50 grand range, and they're still dealing with them. So there's going to be cost involved. When I did it for my mom, I felt like it was my job to be my mom's superhero. It was nobody else's. So if something was going to go wrong, it was going to be me. It was going to happen to me. I wasn't going to put anyone else in jeopardy. And so I went up and I did it all by myself. I didn't have any backup. Now it I have to have backup. I have to have people watching, you know, watching and helping and going in and clearing the knives out of the kitchen so I don't get some crazy person coming out at me, you know, or something like that. If you get a squatter, it's going to cost you one way or another. And uh, the one thing that I could offer you is time. I'm going to save you time. Talking to the sheriff directly, and now that he knows from a personal conversation, what the situation is with this house, which obviously it's still going to be for sale. Did that make any difference as far as, did you have any more leverage? Like if, if you said, if you called him and said, Hey, I think somebody's in the house again, what can they do now? He had told me that there was a form. Now looking back, I wish I would have paid more attention to what this form is because I've had several people ask about it, but I didn't bother with it. We sold the house quickly afterwards, so I didn't need to. But he mentioned that there was a, um, like a form that is authorizes them to basically arrest anybody on the property. So he had, he assured me that knowing the situation, that if I called on that property and on that address, that they would act immediately and that they would make sure that, uh, this doesn't happen again. They're not going to do that for everyone. Um, I think that he was kind of, he was probably, I would imagine, a little embarrassed. Because of one of his law enforcement, the prison guard employee yeah. was sort of associated yeah. with him. Well, at least you know, when you when you left, you knew this, this isn't going to stretch out. So somebody's going to live here for a few months. You've got, as soon as you your camera detects motion inside and you can look at it and see, yep, somebody's there. And, and you're right on top of it. That's the way to yeah. really know about yeah, it. That, that is a key element. My future goal would be to be, uh, I want to be the spokesperson for at ring, for ring cameras and, and go and talk about, uh, I think it would be, uh, it would be a, a good mutual benefit for me and them, you know, to, uh, to go on and talk about squatters and how ring cameras can prevent your squatters and things like that. I should have, we should have had ring sponsor this episode. That would have been a smart exactly. thing. Exactly. One of the deterrents, me being there, made a difference. But honestly, I think the presence of cameras made even a bigger difference because 
the fact that I could show them, I just installed these cameras and now everything you do on this property is being recorded and there's an alarm. And if you open a window or a door, you try to break in the back door, an alarm is going to go off and cameras have you in their sight. I think that maybe her eyes just opened up a little bit wider when I mentioned that part of it. The cameras are a big thing. If you are going to do this on your own, that should be the very first step. I think that that's a big thing because people act a little bit different when they know they're on camera. So you had mentioned that you're offering this as a service now. So people that have squatters can contact you and, and hopefully get that resolved. But you also, your primary occupation is as a professional handyman. Yeah. So I, I am the founder of, of the United Handyman Association. I founded the association in uh, 2009, uh, which is and was the first nationwide uh, handyman trade association. Originally, I started my first handyman business when I was 16 years old. I've done, you know, everything handyman work to be being a general contractor to doing commercial building. I actually built a couple prisons, a sheriff's department, some high rise. And then eventually went back to my bread and butter, which I enjoyed the most personal with homeowners and just being part of the family as a handyman, being kind of that trusted. What I've found is that homeowners, if they find a good handyman, they trust them with everything. That part of the business, I ended up going back to full time. And this was in 2002. People were writing me, asking me, feeling like they weren't being treated properly as handymen. So I thought, let me reach out to a local association because just like every trade, a handyman's got to have an association. And I found that they didn't. So I started the process to, to build one myself, started offering free memberships across the nation. And until I finally started offering real paid memberships in 2009. So somebody nationwide here in the U.S. needs a handyman. Obviously, they can come to you yes. and find someone that's already gone through all this vetting process. You're talking about an industry that's not regulated, an industry that somebody can be in prison today, be released tomorrow, get free business cards and, and some vinyl for $20 and put it on their truck. And people just trust them because they have, they have a name on their truck, so they must be legit. And then now they're in your living room and in your kids' rooms the next day working. So for people that want to use that service, what's your website or how can people contact you? Um, so it's unitedhandymanassociation.org. They can reach out on there and read all about it. This is kind of just like an online resume for you to check out before you hire them, before you call them. And I know you're on Instagram as well. So we'll have all of this contact information in the show notes for this episode so people can go there if they need to, you know, if they want to get in touch with you. Flash, I appreciate you coming on here telling your story. It's great to hear a squatter get squatted. And uh, it sounds like you had fun doing this too. Yeah, it's fun just when things go the way you want them to. It's pretty fun in general. But this time was, it was a big release. I had lost my dad, like, and just being there and being able to do for my mom what you know, I felt like my duty as her son was to do felt so good so yes it was fun if you'd like to see pictures of Flash and all of the squatter's furniture in the driveway the day he was there that's all in the show notes at whatwasthatlike.com slash 140 Flash has also started a petition to make squatting an actual crime you can sign it and help make that happen. The link for that is also in the show notes. Well, the summer of 2023 is here, and it's going to be a fun one. I've got plans to introduce you to some storytelling podcasts that I know you're going to love. And I'll be traveling a bit. This month, June, I'll be in New York City for a few days to meet up with my ad agency, Glassbox Media. And that trip happens to coincide with the Tribeca Film Festival, so I'm hoping to take in a great movie or two. 
Then in August, I'll be in Denver at the Podcast Movement Podcasting Conference. It's always a fun time to connect with fellow podcasters and just hang out with a bunch of creative people for a few days. And in September, I'll be at CrimeCon in Orlando. This is a new one for me. If you're not familiar with it, CrimeCon is a conference that's all about every aspect of true crime. Podcasts, TV shows, movies, books, detectives, it's all there. I know What Was That Like isn't strictly a true crime podcast, but there are definitely some episodes that fall into that category. Should be interesting anyway. My wife's coming with me on that one. We're going to CrimeCon on Saturday, then on Sunday we'll be doing roller coasters and Harry Potter rides and all that stuff at Universal's Islands of Adventure. That's another first, because we've never been to either of the Universal theme parks yet. Which is kind of crazy, since we're only like a two-hour drive from Orlando. So if you're planning to be at either of those conferences, let me know. Maybe we can connect. And I wanted to let you know, the fun continues in the Podcast Listener Facebook group. I'm really enjoying asking questions that really make you think. And we have some great conversations. One of the things I asked recently was... If you could make yourself twice as attractive or twice as intelligent, which would you choose? We had a great time talking about that. And sometimes the question isn't necessarily a deep philosophical one. Like just recently, I asked if you could have lunch with any living celebrity, who would it be? And I posted my answer in there too. Think you can guess who I chose? Anyway, we'd love to have you join us over there. And if you use the promo code PODCASTDELICIOUS, you can join for free. Just kidding, it's always free. You can get in at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lye. And now, the listener story. Every podcast episode ends with one of these. Just a short, interesting story, around 5 to 10 minutes, that was sent in by a listener. I know you have a story, and we all want to hear it. Just record it on your phone and send it to me at scott at whatwasthatlike.com. This week's story is from my friend John. He's a podcaster, a pastor, an author, just a pretty cool guy. You can check out his stuff at platformlaunchers.com. And you can download his free tool to help you build and grow and monetize your online platform in 21 days or less. In this story, John talks about working at his favorite summer job. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks. Most people get a part-time job to make extra money. For me, I actually lost money by choice. (laughs) Let me explain. Before I tell you about my part-time job, let me tell you what I do in real life. I'm an author and podcaster, and for the past 25 years, I've also been a full-time pastor. I'm in a season of life where I'm feeling a bit sentimental, a bit reflective, would even say somewhat adventurous. My wife and I, we have four children, three are in college, and one, a daughter, is getting ready to finish high school. Now, she's a fun kid, and I will tell you that our personalities are a lot alike. Most often, she's completely on board when I suggest we do something fun and out of the norm. I remember a few years ago, I had a flight canceled, and I suggested that we rent a sports car and drive 15 hours to Wisconsin so I could keep the speaking engagement that I had agreed to do. And with no time to prepare, she said yes, and off we went. And the trip was an absolute blast. Well, last summer, I suggested a new adventure to her. I suggested that we attempt to get hired as ride operators at our favorite amusement park, Knobles, in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. And my idea was that we would commit one day a week to working there, and we'd see if they'd consider training and hiring us. And I knew it wasn't a conventional request, but I also knew they were having a very difficult time finding seasonal staff at that particular moment. So if this idea was ever going to fly, this seemed like the time. Also, I should probably mention that the park is two and a half hours from our home. So this would require a five hour round trip every Monday for 13 weeks. 
And within one second of suggesting this to my daughter, Julia, she said, absolutely, I would love to do that. So we applied online. We drove up to the park for interviews. We got hired. We drove back another day for training, and our adventure began. The summer was filled with long drives, great conversations, and all kinds of fun experiences. We both worked in Kittyland, where most of the riders are children under the age of 10. And that's a very fun age to work with. It's also a, a great group to work with because you get to interact with their families as well. We were also blessed with regular visits from friends and from family who would purposely visit the park on Mondays when we were there. Uh, I'm 46, my daughter is 17, and one of our biggest surprises as we worked there this past summer was the age of our co-workers. A few were high school and college age, but many were in their 70s and even their 80s. Several were in their 80s. That surprised me, and I asked them why they worked there. Some worked because they desperately needed to supplement their income, and so they did that. It was good seasonal employment. Others worked to combat boredom. One coworker, a woman who was in her 80s, said she worked there because she didn't have a family, and the park guests and the coworkers filled that void. I will admit that the days were long, and most of the days were hot because this was in the, the middle of the summer. Most days were very tiring as well because of all the standing that was involved. Occasionally, not too often, but occasionally we had to handle difficult guests, but the experience was genuinely fun. And when the summer came to an end, I, I was very sad to say goodbye. So was Julia. I have no idea if this is an experience we'll repeat, but I'm glad we got to do it at least once. Working at the park was fantastic, but the time I was able to spend with my daughter was the best part of all, and I'm so glad she agreed to this adventure. On our final day, Nick, who was the man who hired us and he oversaw the rides department, he made a point to come and visit us at our stations. And he went out of his way to let Julia and I know how much they enjoyed having us on staff. And he hoped that we would apply to work there again in future years. So should we apply to do it one more time? I have no idea if we'll do it, but I have to say it was an experience we'll never forget. And I just received my tax statement from the park. So to let you know how this worked out for me financially, it tells me that for those 13 Mondays of employment, I was paid a total of $1,172 and 99 cents. Now, the expenses I incurred for fuel, tolls, and meals came to $1,300 for a financial loss of $127.01. And to that I say, it was totally worth it.